Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 11th, we are studying Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. In the final words of the Old Testament, Malachi speaks of the coming day of the Lord, when his enemies will be burnt as stubble, and his people will rejoice as calves leaping from the stall. To help us this morning sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It is always a fun time being with you. So we're looking at the book of Malachi today, and Malachi 4 is the appointed Old Testament reading for the one-year lectionary, the second Sunday in Advent, which is the Sunday we just had. So give us Indeed. some give us some liturgical context. Where do we find ourselves on the second Sunday in Advent? How does Malachi 4 fit in? Well, you know, us historic guys— uh, we I'm kidding. Uh, the one-year lectionary, when you get to Advent and I, it's in the three year too, right? You have the names of each Sunday, correct yes. or no? Gener- yeah, that's why. Generally thought. speaking, yeah. So this past Sunday was Populous Zion, people of Zion. Who, what Zion is that city of peace? So we are the people of peace, people of hope, and you have all three of the readings focus on this. You have the gospel lesson from Luke twenty one, Jesus talking about your redemption is drawing near. You know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. May you have the strength to escape and stand before the Son of Man. You have the epistle from Romans, where St. Paul, guided along by the Holy Spirit, writes to the saints there, talking about how we have hope in Christ, that we are welcomed by Christ. And then you have this lovely passage from Malachi, passage meaning the entire chapter, where you talk about the great day of the Lord. And it's amazing Advent is this time where you are waiting for that arrival of Christ. It's not just getting ready for Christmas. It's meditating on how Christ comes to you now, arrives to you now in the means of grace, and will arrive and come again on the last day. And that last day, because you are in Christ, because you've forgiven your sins, because you can go out leaping like calves and rejoicing, it is not a day of terror, but a day we're looking forward to. We're excited about it. We can't wait for the last day. It's going to be great because we're going to a greater place. We're going to a place where all the saints get to rejoice unto eternity. So the second Sunday in Advent is that day where we meditate on how God has stirred our hearts up uh, that we may receive that hope that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, Malachi definitely fits with that, that second Sunday collect, stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son. Malachi definitely does that. You, you don't get to listen right. to Malachi and just sort of sit back and say, well, that's nice. Oh, no. Yeah. Malachi stirs up your hearts, for sure. So right. this is actually the second time in a row we've we've looked at Malachi. Yesterday, we looked at part of Malachi 3, which is one of the readings in a different Sunday in Advent for one of the three-year series. So uh, we're a little familiar here with, with Malachi, but maybe not as, some of, as much as some of the other prophets we encounter in Advent, like Isaiah, 
we know a lot about Isaiah, maybe not as much as Malachi. So give us a bit of that context about Malachi. We're at the end of the Old Testament. What do we need to know about the book as a whole, the prophet himself, to approach chapter four today? Well, his name is fantastic. Did y'all talk about the name a little yesterday bit. or no? A little, a little bit. bit, you know, messenger of Yahweh or or my messenger. What did y'all settle on? My Was messenger it? is what we went my with. My messenger. Yes. Yeah, my messenger. And it's beautiful with that, that this isn't the messenger of the world. This is God's messenger. And you're at the end of the Old Testament. Um, I love when you read higher criticism, they try to say, oh, well, it's at the end because this is how the, the Jews in the early 1900s, they placed, no, no, they say the Septuagint did, right? They say the Septuagint placed it at the end because it just fit, it sounded nice. But the reality is this is this is guiding us into what you'll then get that period where God will send his new Elijah, his new messenger, uh, Saint Saint John the Baptist. And so much of Malachi is pointing to that prophet coming and preparing the way for the Lord. So it's just a beautiful book, especially for Advent, but also, I mean, if you're reading the Old Testament in, in, in order, it's a great way to transition you into what you will be hearing in the New Testament. Yeah, I mean, and Malachi does—he uh, is the last prophet, chronologically <laughs> speaking, too. Yeah. And, and then there's, of course, this this huge gap, which is really— Quite something, you know, and we'll we we get the end of that today. The very last words of the Old Testament. That's what we're reading today. Four hundred years later, boom! Here's Jesus, just like that. I mean, yesterday yeah. we talked about that. Suddenly, the Lord comes to His temple, and and that's you know, it's all all this silence. Sometimes that intertestamental period can be referred to as the silent period. All this silence, and then all of a sudden, here comes the angel Gabriel to announce a couple of important births, and Malachi talked yeah. about them. I mean, it's just a you know, it, it's. Well, it, it almost is. You, you're reading Malachi, you get to 4, verse 6, and you, you turn the page in your Bible, and there's Matthew 1, verse 1, and although there's that 400-year gap, the story just continues like it was meant to be. Well, and that's why we say thanks be to God. That's I love that after readings, and I, I, uh, I talk to the saints. I say, you know, your pastor doesn't do that just so you can start focusing again. You know, you daydream during the reading. He says, this is the word of the Lord. And you go, oh, okay, he's done now. It's spoken because you are, we're thankful that God actually speaks to us. He talks to us just as he sent the prophets. I mean, we say that in, uh, which service is it? Evening prayer or vespers? God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And we, we see this thankfulness that God isn't silent for 400 years with us. We get to go right from Malachi to Matthew 1. We get to go right from one to the other. God continues speaking to us. That's his mercy and grace for us, is he's not silent. In fact, not only does he give you your Bible, he sends you your pastor to be that prophet, to be that one who points to the word of God that says, this is the word of the Lord. I am the messenger of God, not of the world, not of the devil, not of sin, but of God, who hands you the things God wants you to hear, your forgiveness, life, and salvation. Yeah, I mean, we did talk about this yesterday, that there are some who would maybe suggest Malachi, my messenger, is more of a, a title and not an individual. And we, we said, no, Malachi is an individual. But, but, yeah. but God does give you a Malachi today. He gives right. you a pastor, a messenger of his to speak his word to you. And, and as you said, thanks be to God for his gracious yeah. gifts. 
Well, and, and that's the thing of it. Um, why does it say my messenger? Is he saying, guess what? I'm still sending people. His name is Malachi. It's to comfort you that he is my messenger speaking this to you. And then you you see John come. And who does he say he is? I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, making ready the way for the Lord. And it's just beautiful. And um, your pastor is the one who is sent by God to preach the law that you may be crushed in despair of yourself. Your heart may be stirred up and made ready to receive the gospel, the forgiveness of your sins. Let's see how Malachi then closes the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's our text for today. <laughs> this is <laughs> the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's, that's what I was thinking too, yeah. <laughs> but that that is the text. That's the text for today, Malachi 4, 1 to 6. And we do say, thanks be to God for these words as well. And we'll, we'll come to that, that decree of utter destruction at the very end. And actually, that's that's mm. how the that's how the text opens, verses, verses 1 and, well, I guess verse 1 particularly. Uh, speak yeah. of this great destruction. And the way it talks about it is a familiar one to the prophets. We get this day that's coming, the day of the Lord. Start talking about the day of the Lord, Pastor Hall. Well, and that's the thing is it's almost when is this day of the Lord? Is it this? Is it the last day? Yes. Is it the day of the cross? Yes, that's where the judgment takes place. Your last day, the day of the Lord is the day you were baptized, the judgment happening there. The day is coming, burning like an oven when all arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. And it will leave them neither root nor branch. And it's amazing when you think of this. That God, and Luther would speak this way, God works by destroying us. He kills us to make us alive. He cripples us that he may give us the gift of walking. He deafens us so that we may hear. He mutes us so that we may speak. That day of the Lord is coming is the day of judgment. And the judgment is to you. There's We have no excuse. We can't say anything we've done. All we can do is despair and repent and say, God, be merciful to me, for I am the sinner, and receive the judgment that is ours in Christ. But if we continue to make our own justifications, our own excuses, try to act like, well, we're not that bad, um, then it will not be pleasant for us. And that's where you get the ending. It's just utter destruction for those who try to be their own savior. Yeah, the, the day of the Lord does have that dual function. Maybe we could say it like this. The day of the Lord functions as either law or gospel, depending right. on where you are. And, and the way that this text starts, Malachi preaches the day of the Lord as law. 
And it's a really vivid image that he gets here for us. I mean, I'm always amazed at the the sermons that the prophets preach. I wish I could preach like that, Pastor Hall. Oh, they would do pictures. the same thing to you. They did to the prophets. Uh-huh. They'd stone them or kill them or do something. <laughs> ah, ah, uh-huh. So the, the picture that Malachi gives us here of the day of the Lord for those who would just remain in their sins, it's this picture of an oven that burns up stubble. So take us into this picture that Malachi paints for us. Well, you you see that um, it's like St. John the Baptist preached this way, too. You know, the axe is already at the root, and his, his winnow, what is it? Not winnowing fork, is it? Fork? No. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. is in his hand, and he, he's casting them into the oven, casting them into the fire. This is the judgment, is nothing survives it. The oven burns it all up. It's disintegrated. It's destroyed. And that is what happens to wickedness. Um, it, it doesn't get to endure with God. It's ended. And that is the re- that is the preaching of the law is you can't take the stuff with you. You don't get to have Jesus and then something. It is all Christ. It is all for you in Christ. And everything else is burned up. Don't cling to it then. May you be made new so that you don't cling to those things. You don't fear losing them, trusting in them, loving in them, but instead you cling to Christ alone. But this last day is similar to like Paul in uh, Corinthians when he says, do you want me to come with the rod or with joy? And that's what Malachi is saying here is if you continue clinging to those things that will be destroyed, that will pass away, you yourself will pass away as well. He mentions particularly that this day that is coming burning like an oven, it's going to particularly be the arrogant and the the evildoers who will be stubble. What is it with arrogance, with pride that earns the prophet's particular rebuke here? Well, the problem with arrogance and pride is you then believe you yourself are God. You are the one who is right. Uh, You don't need to be corrected. Um, Isn't that when... Luther says, it, when you preach the law, the sinner either hates themselves or they hate you, the preacher. They hate God. And the reality is the arrogant don't believe they're sinful. It's like Joyce Meyer said. Uh, she said, because uh, we know she grew up in Missouri Senate. You knew that, right? Or not? Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad she did, you know, because it shows how bad people in the Missouri Senate can be when they don't understand it. And she was going off one time uh, about the confession and absolution from divine service setting three. And she said, you know, I am not poor, I'm not miserable, and I am not a sinner. And I will never say those things. It's like, well, yes, you are. Because <laughs> Christ died for sinners. So don't don't cling to some thought that you are perfect and you will never sin. Instead, repent of your sin, despair of yourself, and cling to Christ alone. That's That's what we sing in our hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, is faith clings to Jesus' cross alone, not to your works alone or to your own thought of purity alone, but clings to Christ. Um, Despair, the humility is the gift of God, meekness, not arrogance and pride in yourself. I mean, arrogance, pride, that takes us straight to the matter of the first commandment, that I would seek to make myself God that I would seek to save myself. And that, you know, I mean, I guess I could delude myself for a while, but it really, there's only two ends to that. And and pride is, is one of them when I'm trying to save myself. I might become proud 
I might become the Pharisee who thinks, yeah, I've done it, and I'm better than you. But there's the opposite end of that, which is despair. When I recognize, right. no, I haven't done this. And, and in fact, God must hate me. And, and there's anytime I'm trying to be self-righteous and, and I'm trying to make myself into God, it's always going to be one or the other, the pride or the despair. And despair is just as bad because there's a difference between uh, a faithful despair, meaning you despair of your own works, you despair of yourself, and you cling to the mercy of God, and despair in God, despair in his love, despair in his loving kindness towards you, his mercy towards you. And there's a hell, it's, um, what's his name? Edmund Schlink, he wrote a book, oh, so it's, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. I think the Lutheran Confessions, I think is what it's called. And he makes a point in there how despair is just as bad or even worse than arrogance because arrogance you you you're thinking i can buy god off with despair you're like there's no way of doing anything with this god he's impossible to please and um you're exactly right with that i'm always i'm always amazed whenever i go into the catechism under the sixth petition and the lead us not to temptation and how luther reminds us that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature are deceiving and misleading us into false belief. Despair is, right. is listed second, and then other great shame and vice. You know, we tend to think of all of, well, I mean, as Malachi says, all the evildoers. We tend to think of all of those sins against the second table of the law, the terrible things we do to our neighbors. And yet that despair, which would, would go against the first commandment, not a proper fear, love, and trust in God, but a, a deformed fear, love, and right. trust— that despair, that's what the devil really wants. That's thats what he wants me to do, is to despair of any hope that I have. I, I must be too great a sinner, and there is no hope for me. The devil would love for me to fall into that kind of—and to swing back and forth between the two, between the despair yeah. and the pride. It's, it's this pendulum. I think Pastor uh, Brian Wolfmuller is the first one I heard describe it that way, this pendulum between the two. Right. It, despair and pride. And, and apart from Christ, I'm always swinging between those two. Yeah, because that's where the devil's pointing you. He's either showing you the sin to drag you into a pit that you could never possibly get out of or be rescued or even be found in. God wouldn't even be able to find you in there. You're so, so debased, so deep down in the muck. Or he comes and says, look at what you did. Look at how bad they are. You would never do that. You've made improvements. Um, it, it's it's kind of like when you're uh, when you help someone with a sin, you're counseling them. And if you begin the counseling sessions with, hey, we're going to make sure you don't, you never struggle with this ever again. That's not the goal. And if that is the goal that you'll never do this again, struggle with again, that's not the Christ talking. That's, that's the devil speaking. He wants to convince you, you don't have a need for Jesus anymore. You may have in the past to get you going, but now you're good to go. And that's the devil's sermons constantly. Well, and that's why Malachi's preaching here is so very necessary. You know, we were talking about, okay, the devil's the one that wants us to despair. God doesn't want us to despair. And yet Malachi comes and preaches just this literally fiery sermon. But we, we need that fiery sermon so that we don't get into the idea that I can do this on my own, that this is somehow my doing. We need we need to hear that this fire on the day of the Lord is going to wipe out anything 
that we would place our hope in apart from Christ. And and I think, you know, at the end of verse 1, where it's talking about this, this day that is coming that will set them ablaze, it's not going to leave either root or branch. And we've been looking at a variety of Old Testament texts during this series here on Sharper Iron, and several of them have talked about the stump of Jesse and the branch that shoots forth, the righteous branch of David. It's only from that promise of the Christ that a branch can shoot forth. Any other stump that we would look to, that's just going to be burned up. Our only hope is found in Christ. Well, and that's where verse 2 gets you, right? I don't know if you were going into that, but that's where you get that but, that gospel. But don't wait for you who fear my name, not a despair, not a, a, a doubting of my love, but you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. It's it's beautiful. You have that law that this is the reality. This is coming. This day is coming. But for you, worry not because it's 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 not going to harm you. You're going to come out with joy and thanksgiving. You're going to come out rejoicing that this day is happening, and it's just glorious. Um, the law is there for us. It reminds us that we are sinful, reminds us that we need Christ. But as we learn, learn like in Walther's um, proper distinction, it's the gospel that predominates, not just time-wise, but primarily how it's spoken to you. That's the final word, is your salvation in Christ. The the fear of the Lord there at the beginning of verse 2, I think, is such an important point to make, which would be the opposite of the arrogance and the evildoers in verse 1. The the proper corrective to arrogance and to evil deeds isn't, as you said, you know, trying to fix it myself. <laughs> it's, the, right. it's the proper fear of the Lord, which certainly involves, I mean, usually we teach it this way, I think, when it comes, you know, a respect and awe of the Lord. I, I think we could be a bit stronger than that. You know, we should recognize that God could burn me up. He's not going oh. to, but but we should recognize that. And that proper fear of the Lord, that's what we need. Well, that's the cross. If you look at the cross outside of the for you and your forgiveness, this is the that is where all the wrath of the Father went, is on Christ, and he died. And that's what you deserve. And that creates fear because we, the baptized, desire to live a righteous life. We want to keep the commandments. We want to be holy people. We want to be better. It's not like we wake up in the morning thinking, man, I hope I'm a terrible person who will be burned up like stubble on the last day. It's I can't wait to be one of those calves leaping out from the stall, and I want to learn more about God. I want to love my neighbor more. I want to do more for my neighbor. And when we fail at that, it's even harder because then we have this fear of God. It's like I know he he doesn't delight in this way of life. He doesn't take delight in name the sin. You know, we always like naming the big ones like homosexuality, abortion, but get into the regular life of the church. God does not take delight in gossip. He doesn't take delight in a church that cuts their pastor's salary by 20% while half of the members still went on vacation this year. He's not happy with that. He's displeased by that. And he's not going to put up with it. And the only solution you have to that fear is holy absolution. 
Only one who is fearful rejoices in the peaceful voice of Jesus. <laughs> and that's the reality. And, and in that way, then, to use the language of Malachi, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Take us into this picture that Malachi paints. Well, it's it's almost beautiful. You see this image of, of the book of Revelation as well in it. You see the judgment coming, like the four angels holding back the winds. But then the angel comes with the seal of the living God in its hand. And it says, wait and don't bring destruction until we've sealed the servants of the living God on their foreheads. And it's beautiful. This son of righteousness, which is Christ himself, comes with healing in his wings. He, and I love this image of wings, too, because it points you to the cross. It points you to the reality that God, his arms will be stretched out wide, that he may shield you in the shelter of his wings, that you may be found in his righteousness, not in your sin, but instead in his righteousness. That when the Father sees you, the Father doesn't see the sin. Your Father in heaven sees the purity of his Son, and how beautiful that is. And it's glorious. The the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, brings up this, this image in stanza three, at least as it's recorded in Lutheran service book. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, yes. light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. I mean, and there, there's the image. And, and, and I, I mean, imagine, you know, put those two images side by side from verse, verse one and verse two. On the one hand, you've got this fire, hotter than any fire you can imagine, that's going to just burn up everything. But then here is this son of righteousness whose, whose warmth doesn't come to burn you up, but comes to, to heal you. I mean, it's just a, the, the contrast there. Oh, yeah. And yet at the same time, I mean, the, the image of the heat that, that on the one hand, in your arrogance, it will burn you up. But in the fear of the Lord, it will bring healing to you. It's just an astounding picture. I mean, it, it reminds me of, you've seen the movie Ben-Hur. I have. I have. You, hey, you, you always know, reference. Mark it down. Yeah. Mark it down, man. Oh, oh, the chariot I race remember. is fantastic. Yeah. But I don't I think that's it. what you're going to talk about. <laughs> no, it's not. But mark this day down in the history books. You know, the day that the, the Brother Hall said a movie and Brother Apple said, I've seen it. We will rejoice greatly at this as we, as we, I, I'm going to stop there. But the, the, um, there's the point where Ben Hur and his mother and his sister are going into the city and they're both lepers. And you can see the fear. Because they know if someone catches them walking in the streets, they're good stoned. And what happens when someone finally does see them, Ben-Hur lifts up his arms and shields them and takes all the stones for them while they're thrown at them. They're completely protected. Not one stone hits them. And this is Christ. He shields you completely. You should. We are fearful because we're the lepers. We're walking around with full reason to be, to be put to death. And yet, our Lord Christ shields us from every assault of the devil, the world, our sinful flesh, and that accusatory voice of the law. The law still accuses us because we're sinful. But Christ has taken that, acu accus that accusation for us so that now we don't receive that anymore. We are not accused anymore. We're not guilty anymore. In Christ, we are forgiven. But that's why that long gospel is so vital to know the distinction and how beautiful that Malachi 
preaches in two verses what takes me two hours to try to explain. Thanks be to God for Malachi and his his preaching. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, December 11th. We're looking at Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 with Pastor Chris Hull. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we're looking at verses 1 and 2 here in Malachi chapter 4, the law and the gospel that Malachi preaches so beautifully. And he gives us another image there at the end of verse 2, the calves leaping, oh, leaping like calves from the stall. What's the picture here? Well, it's beautiful. There's two two ways of taking it. I'll go with the one that I believe is incorrect first, and then the correct ones because it's always fun fun times to go that way. I remember I was uh, doing a, a Dave Ramsey class, and he said that the calves leaping from the stalls are they're finally released from their boundaries. Just like when you pay off your debt, you are released from it, and you go out joyfully leaping. So, of course, when I heard this, I said, well, I don't think that's exactly what Malachi was talking about here. If you want to make the connection to being forgiven your sins, yes, when we're forgiven our debt to our father, we go out leaping. But in that even, and Brother Apple, we talked about this a little bit, and this is, of course, your thoughts that I'm then using, so I'm footnoting you so no one thinks it's me coming up with it. In the forgiveness of sins, what's actually happening is it's not just Christ removing something, removing this, and he's feeding us. He's strengthening us. He's nourishing us. That's what happens in the sacrament of the altar. We are fed and nourished. And from there, we go joyfully out. I mean, what are we saying after the Lord's Supper? We don't sing some dirge. We sing the nuc dimittis. We sing, Lord, now you can let your servant go in peace, according to your word. What is Luther? His um, nuc dimittis hymn is called, In Peace and Joy I Now Depart. So from being fed, from being forgiven, we depart joyfully, both in this life and on that last day. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, can you, I don't know if you have, do you have steps there up to the chancel at, uh, at yes. Zion Tomball? So, I mean, imagine, yes. imagine someone, one of the saints who comes to receive the body and blood of Christ, and then rather than walking very seriously down those steps, mm. they actually leap down the yes. steps and do like a heel kick. Ah, you know, I love it. Something love like it. that. Oh, me, they would be excommunicated by the church immediately for not being stoic enough. But I would rejoice with it. It's so great. You know, we actually we have a kid that does that Uh, during COVID. We've changed distribution mainly to try to prevent everyone piling up on each other at the rail. But we have this one one boy. His name is Daniel. He is every time he gets a blessing, comes up and gets his blessing. He does this spin move. And dances all the way back to the pew. 
And I love it. I challenge him to a dance off half the time. And it, he's so joyful. I mean, it's like amazing. He, he's just rejoicing. And he's not even getting the body and blood of Christ yet. He's just getting a blessing. And I told his mom, I said, man, I hope, you know, keep that same joy <laughs> as you receive the body and blood of Christ. That you literally, it's, 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 it's just, you, you realize what great gift you've been given. It's yeah. fantastic stuff. Right. And that, I mean, that's the joy that is ours whenever Christ comes to us. That's, yeah. that's the joy. And, and I mean, certainly reverence, we're not saying anything against reverence, but man, the joy is just all over the place in these Advent Old Testament readings. It's all over the place yeah. in Isaiah. It's here in Malachi as well. The joy when God comes and, and he defeats your enemies. To, to keep us moving through the text, verse 3, th this mm -hmm. victory that the Lord gives to his people, they too, it says, tread down the wicked. They're ashes under the soles of your feet. The Lord gives you the victory, and in that victory there is joy. Take us into that verse 3. Well, and this is, it's, it's kind of like Joshua. Remember before Joshua 6 with Jericho, uh, Joshua meets this man. This one with the sword in his hands, are you for us or for our enemies? And he goes, neither, no. <laughs> and it's showing that God is the one that leads the way. You're not going and bringing God along with you. He is the one acting. And you benefit from the action. Wouldn't this be great if we could pray this way like the psalmists do? That even though I'm persecuted, God, will you act for me? Will you do this, please? I, I, I am given in the law not to do this. I cannot hurt or harm my neighbor in his body. It is not for me to do these things. God, I'm the one walking in faith. May you do and deal with those who are persecuting. And if it be your will that I continue to suffer, thy will be done. But we know on the last day, that's when everything is done. That's when the weeds are, are separated from the wheat. <laughs> and we, we rejoice that... God has sustained us. That that beautiful surprise, that joyful surprise that God sustained us, and now we get to enter into the eternal dwellings. The way Malachi phrases the, you shall tread down the wicked, their ashes under the soles of your feet, reminds me of the way Paul speaks in the conclusion of his epistle to the Romans. In Romans 16, oh, verse 20, yeah. the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Which then, right. of course, connects all the way back to the first promise of the gospel back in Genesis 3.15, that mm -hmm. Christ comes and crushes Satan. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's awesome to see how that promise continues at the, it's at the beginning of the Old Testament, it's here at the end of the Old Testament, and it, it carries into the New Testament all the way till the last day when that yeah. victory is fully realized for us. And that's the beautiful part. This is the first good news. It's the continual good news, and it's the last good news. It's the only good news you need to hear, that God doesn't hate you. Instead, he does away with everything that would keep you out of being with him, that would keep heaven closed to you. He deals with it for you and does away with it. And that's why he sends you your pastor. Your pastor is there to, yes, preach the law, to reveal the sin that that Malachi 4.1, to say this is what happens to those who continue in it, but more so to preach what goes on from there. That in Christ, the devil is defeated, the world is overcome, death is destroyed, and you, my friend, are forgiven. 
and you are loved by God. I love uh, Mark Bars preaches that way. The way there's just the way some guys preach, and I I listen to them. I'm like, man, I wish I could be that guy. And uh, Mark Bars is one of them. And the way he says, "You who are loved by God," it just I literally sit there and go, man, <laughs> yes, thank you. I am loved by God in Christ. It's it's just good stuff. As as John labels himself the beloved disciple, what what better right. thing could there be than to be the one whom God loves? And Malachi oh. Malachi preaches it to us here, even at the end of the Old Testament. Now, in in verses four through six, the very end of the Old Testament, he brings to mind. I mean, it's almost like he's he knows he's summarizing the Old Testament, and so he brings the two greatest prophets. I think you could make that argument. He brings the two mm-hmm. greatest prophets from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah to bear here at the end as he's wrapping up not only his writing, but also the entirety of the Old Testament. So first he talks about Moses. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Why is this an important reminder here at the old end of the Old Testament that we would remember Moses? Well, one is because he is, he is the man in the Old Testament. You look at Horeb, what did God do at Horeb? Um, the mountain of God. You have the burning bush, right? In in Exodus three, and then what else does he give him? You have these just decrees that he gives him there. So it points to Moses. Everyone in the Old Testament looks to Moses. When Moses dies, God says to Joshua, "I'm going to raise you up, and everyone will look to you just like they look to Moses." Um, John himself, in his gospel, in his prologue talks about Moses. So when we look at Moses, he is that prophet par excellence. He is the key figure. I mean, he's not the, you don't, he's not Abraham, that father of faith, but Moses is the one that God used to deliver his children out of Egypt. And I love that, that deliverance language that comes there. That's what people think when they think of Moses. He's the guy that rescued us. He's the guy that brought our people out. He's the one God chose to deliver us from our oppressors. And it's beautiful. It, it really is. So you've got, you've got Moses, and, and you know he is the man, as you said, one of the, actually the very first text we considered for this series, although it, it shows up later in Advent, I think it's in the one-year lectionary, was Deuteronomy 18, where you get yes. that promise. Yes. Right? And, and so here at the end of the Old Testament, it's a reminder of that promise. The one like Moses is coming. So remember what Moses gave you, because the one like Moses, he's he's still yet to come. And and of yeah. course, we know that that's, that's Jesus. So remember Moses, all the statutes, the rules. And well, is that it, Pastor Hall? I mean, you know, we, we think of Moses and we associate him with the law. And, and you get the statutes and rules that were commanded at Horeb. But I mean, Moses isn't just a preacher of the law in the very specific law gospel sense of the term law. I mean, there's there's no. more to Moses than here's what you have to do. He preaches the gospel too, right? Oh, all the time. I mean, you look at the parting of the Red Sea. This is gospel. You see Moses in numbers when the children of Israel are belly aching. And complaining, and God sends, God sends, not the devil, but God sends fiery serpents to bite them. Moses prays, and then he puts the the serpent on the staff and says, behold, look, he preaches and says, look to this and you'll live. 
gospel is bleeding throughout the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and it's Moses preaching it. Who is the one guided along by the Holy Spirit to write Genesis? Moses. I mean, he writes that. Genesis 3.15, all the gospels throughout that recorded. So when we look at the law, it's, I don't have the Hebrew in front of me, but sometimes when we hear the word law, it's not that nomos, that Greek word for law, but that Torah, the entire the entire writings of Moses. And I guess I should have had my Hebrew with me today. I did not have it, so that's my fault. Well, that, that's a helpful reminder. I just, you know, when, when Malachi wants the people of Israel to remember the law of Moses, it's not only commandments, but there is gospel in there as well. You know, I mean, and certainly Moses, he is known for the Ten Commandments, and rightly so. But he too trusted in the promised Savior. He he preached Christ, just as just oh. as all the Old Testament prophets did. And so, in this reminder here in in Malachi, to remember Moses includes all of that law in the fullest sense of the term, the the Torah, the Word of God, that includes both law that is commands and gospel that is promises, and both of that is is wrapped up in remembering Moses here at the end of the Old Testament. I think. Exactly. Well, no, it's it's correct. It's not more. It's more than just your thought. That is completely what is being done here. It is like when you look at Psalm one, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. It's not just his law. It's the entire counsel of God, all of his teachings, everything we meditate on. And God's word, as we confess in the Augsburg Confession, is divided between command and promise, law and gospel. That's what it's all about. And when you lose one, you lose the other. Now, as Malachi closes, then, you've got Moses to remember him, and now then a promise about Elijah. So, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Uh, Remind us a little bit about who Elijah is from the Old Testament. What do we know about him? And why does he show up here at the very end? Elijah is that great prophet. I mean, when you look at who appears with Jesus— on the Mount of Transfiguration is Moses and Elijah. So pointing back to this prophecy from Malachi, but also pointing to the reality of Moses, because we always look at Isaiah as that key prophet. I mean, he is big, it's not to deny that. But with Elijah, you have, how is he even taken up? He's taken up by God, he doesn't die. He is taken up into the fiery chariot unto the heavens. And he is the one that speaks the word of God. He's the one that, you know, when he goes up and he says, God, there's no one left who holds to you, who worships you alone. (laughs) And God comforts him and says, worry not, many have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah is that great prophet. When we define the prophet of the Old Testament, it is Elijah pointing to the one who is to come. The Christ. And when we see verse five here, who is this new Elijah? And we see Jesus preaching this to his, his disciples as they walk down the Mount of Transfiguration. It's John the Baptist. He is the one that is to come. And, and I mean, even when you go to the announcement of John's birth that Gabriel gives to Zechariah there in the temple, Gabriel echoes these words from Malachi chapter 4 as well, indicating even from the moment, it's not like John sort of realized this later in life, but this was a reality <clears throat> all the way from Luke chapter 1, that this is who John 
would be, this new Elijah to come. And, and as Malachi gives it, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. What, is, what does that mean, Pastor Hall? When we look at this text, turning the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, it's a reality, at least how I, how I see it, is he is going to affect the heart. He is going to be the one that actually turns people. And what does John come preaching? <laughs> he comes preaching repentance. This is talking about a preaching of repentance. And we as Lutherans understand repentance not just as stop doing what you're doing. But true contrition, guilt over your sin, but also faith in the one who forgives you. Because John preached two beautiful sermons, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then also as recorded in John 1, 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one that turns hearts, that changes hearts, that creates anew in that preaching of repentance. Lest, the land, lest I come, meaning God, and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Lest I come and deal with what was already talked about in verse 1. Because the only way verse 1 is escaped from, avoided, is in repentance. Um, and that's lost. I think President Harrison, he wrote a lovely article about it years ago on um, how the Missouri Senate is preaching itself to death. Do you remember this article? at all i do he wrote I, it a lot. I do he, he i think i and i don't recall exactly every detail but i believe he talked a lot about the need to preach the the law very directly almost to take peter in the book of acts as an example mm -hmm. of the you know you did this that second person use both of law right. and gospel as a very necessary thing uh, keep going yes. Hall. Well, and with that, he said, use the word repent. Don't don't just go from law to gospel. Use the repentance language. You don't have to yell out like uh, Charlton Heston in The Greatest Story Ever Told and cry out repent. But you say, repent with me, brothers. Um, I think our own uh, district president, President Newman, has been very good at trying to bring this back, that understanding of repentance. And this gift of repentance, repentance is a gift. You don't just repent because you wake up one morning and think, man, I should just change my ways. God works on you with his law that brings you to see your sin, to recognize your sin and the need for a savior. And that faith then clings to the gospel promise that you are forgiven. And that even harkens back further to uh, Luther, his first thesis, that when Christ said repent, he called the entire life of the Christian to be one of repentance. So this new Elijah, this new prophet, will be the one who preaches repentance, despair of the self, and trust only in the goodness of God. One of the wonderful things of our confessions is the way that we talk about repentance as having two parts. It has both contrition and faith. It's not just woe is me, and it's not a falling into despair like we were talking about earlier. Uh -huh. But it is a contrition, that, that despairing of myself, of my own abilities, recognizing who I am as a sinner who deserves nothing but hell from God. But it does not stay with that. It, it goes further to faith, which is where, as, as you said, that's the two sermons that John has. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Which, I mean— I, I love John and meeting him in the season of Advent every year is just so fantastic. Oh, yeah. But sometimes I think he gets a, a bad rap as yeah. a preacher of judgment, 
And no doubt, John preaches God's law. He preaches the commands. He preaches that we have fallen short, that we deserve you know, the winnowing fork that's coming. The axe is at the root of the trees. But that's not who John is first and foremost. You know, we, we, sang, we sang recently here at Grace the hymn, When All the World Was Cursed. I don't know if you know oh, that. Oh, yes. Yes. A great hymn. Great and, hymn. You know, it starts this way. When all the world was cursed by Moses' condemnation, St. Mm-hmm. John the Baptist came with words of consolation. It was actually yeah. Pastor uh, Carl Roth, who's a guest here on, on this program. Oh, he's a great guy. He, he's, he's a great guy. He pointed this out at one of our Circuit Winkles in a sermon that he preached. It was a fantastic Advent sermon, that, that John the Baptist is a preacher of consolation, a preacher oh, yeah. of comfort. And I think we forget that sometimes, but we, we need to remember it, that, that John comes to preach repentance, yes, but that repentance has contrition and faith. John's always pointing his finger in art, and he's pointing always at Jesus, the Lamb of God who yeah. takes away the sin of the world. And that, that's the beautiful part about it. It's um, this coming Sunday, Gaudetus Sunday, you, you see the reading is from Matthew 11, when John's disciples come to Jesus and say, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus sends them back saying, tell John all the things you see, you know, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. And there's the debate. Well, is John doubting and Jesus has to remind them or is Jesus telling the disciples this because John wants his disciples to cling to Jesus? And the reality is move on from that and understand that John is the preacher of consolation. And Jesus is consoling John as he suffers in prison, just as he consoles you as you suffer in this life, as you suffer the mental anxieties, the emotional distress, the spiritual warfare, the physical ailments. You have the good news preached to you from your Lord and Savior, Jesus. That is the news that John preached. It's the one Jesus preaches. It's the same one your pastor now preaches to you. What greater patron saint of clergy do we have than St. John the Baptist, the new Elijah who consoles in the gospel? It's great stuff. Yeah, the the preaching of John is, is just a fantastic thing to witness. It's so wonderful that we meet him every Advent season, and he, he does this thing over and over to us. We Yeah, it, it's, it's great. And here he is at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi <laughs> chapter 4. He comes just as the Lord promised, the one who prepares the way, who turns the hearts of the children to the fathers, the fathers to the children to receive the Lord Jesus in repentance, in faith, trusting that he is the Lamb of God. Pastor Hull, we've got about four minutes here this morning. Help us wrap things up, summarize Malachi for us, give us the good news that John preached back in the Gospels. The reality is, because of the fall, there are is a plethora of reasons to be fearful, to be scared, to wonder even, does God hate me? I keep doing these same things over and over and over again. I keep making the same mistakes. I keep suffering the same things. I keep wishing, man, I wouldn't have done that. And I have many reasons for when God shows up for him to just go off on me. But the reality is this, the judgment has been declared. God isn't angry with me. He's not angry with you. He loves you. 
He sent his messenger, John, to preach that message, to point to Jesus and say, there he is. There is the lamb predestined from all eternity to be slain for you on the cross, fattened up with all of your mistakes, all your failures, all your sins, all your iniquities, all the wrongs you've committed against God and your neighbor there in Christ. And on the cross, Jesus didn't say, take it away. I can't deal with it. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. The judgment declared. And now in this joyful exchange, this happy switch, you are absolved and forgiven. You now are nourished and fed. You are strengthened in the grace of Christ that you may go out leaping like a calf every day of your life, knowing that God loves you. He doesn't hate you. He loves you unconditionally. And when God loves you, he commits himself to you. He is never going to turn his back on you. He will see you from the womb to the font, to the altar, to the grave and unto all eternity. So be at peace and rejoice. You're going to a good place, and it's going to be a joyful time all the way there. Pastor Chris Hall serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, helping us this morning with Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Pastor Hall, thanks for being our guest today. Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It's always fun times with you. The day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord has come in Christ. Judgment has been poured out on him so that upon you is poured out his righteousness in holy baptism, in his body and blood, in the supper, and now you go out with joy, joy unending. I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.